Welcome back, everybody. This week has been remarkable. Uh, and this, this combination of guests that I had for the week, it's actually, it was kind of a running joke for me because I thought, does everybody have a Russian connection? Because, you know, the first guest that we had on, you know, she trained in Moscow. Uh, the second guest that we had on uh, yesterday, he is of the Russian descent, you know, his mom, his grandmother, uh, grandfather, they're, they're all Russians. Um, I know that, you know, today I'm going to have another interview with, uh, with Alex Sparrow, who is Russian, and he was born in Russia, and he's famous in Russia. And I was many, meaning to ask uh, our next guest, uh, Louis Robbins, if she has any Russian connections, because that would just be funny that every guest has a Russian connection. And right before we started taping, and I said something, and Louis said, yeah, I'm, I'm Russian. I can't believe it. This whole week is just awesome. Hi, so, Alex. Yeah. Hi. Hi. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm rambling on. So uh, please, uh, everybody, welcome to the program, a wonderful actress, uh, Lois Robbins, who happens to have some Russian connection, and we'll explore that in a moment. I do. How are you? Nice to see you. Likewise. Thank you so much. So what, what is this Russian connection that you have? My grandmother was born in Russia. I came here when she was a little girl, and uh, my mother's mother, and uh, my father's parents were both born here, but were also from Russian descent. Um, and yeah, so it's very much in my blood. I, I connect very strongly with all things Russian and all people Russian. And now I'm going to have, my son just got engaged and his uh, future wife is, her father is Russian, born in, in Russia and came here when he was 17. Wow. Well, that's, that's similar to my story. I, uh, I was born in Ukraine, although technically I was born at, in the Soviet Union, so that country no longer exists. That's what I think. So, yeah. Yeah. When, I, when I came here, well, I was 14, and then, you know, before people were calling me Russians, then people started calling me Ukrainians. Right. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's semantics uh, to me at that time. Now it's, it's not semantics at all. Um, okay. Well, we got that out of the way. I'm glad the whole week has... <laughs> has a connection throughout, but the connection that was actually more interesting to me and hopefully to the viewers as well, because it's not about Russia here. Um, it's that every guest that we have, if I can draw kind of a line that connects all of you, it's about uh, authenticity and it's about uh, vulnerability and it's about being yourself and making those hard choices because they reflect who you are as opposed to what you're supposed to be doing or showing the outward expression of what people expect of you. And I found that fascinating. Um, you know, your, your career uh, started in the 80s, which we'll talk about uh, uh, at length in a few minutes. I wasn't here. I came in 89. So I kind of missed all of that. So I wasn't, uh, I wasn't familiar with you. But when I started doing my prep, I was amazed at how many steps kind of uh, you had that were all about what is the right thing to do for me authentically. And I respect that a ton. And I really want to dig into that. Okay, so um, it's funny that you mentioned the word authenticity because um, it, it has come to me, honestly, quite late in life. Why is my dinging here? Um, That's email, so if you want to look at that. So I started out, obviously, um, oh God, there's a, this is a big question, Alan, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was raised, um, frankly, with an enormous amount of privilege and knew I wanted to be an actor from the time I was five years old. Yeah. And 
you know, everybody that I knew in my industry was struggling and couldn't pay their rent. And I was very fortunate that I had um, parents who said, look, and I, when I got out of college and I was working all through college too, I started working on daytime very young. Yep. And um, my parents had said to me, I don't want you getting a waitress job because I was going to get a waitress job like all my friends. Yep. And my dad said, just work really hard work really hard at your craft, do what you need to do, and we'll pay your rent until you can pay your own rent. And I was, so I was very lucky. Yeah. Uh, but here's where it, it hurt me. I felt that I could not be my authentic self. I thought that if, I, if people knew that I wasn't struggling, that um, they wouldn't give me the job, that they didn't think I deserved the job. And so for a long time, I sort of hid where I came from, who I was. So I wasn't walking into rooms being my most authentic self. I became my most authentic self in the last few years when I uh, wrote a play yep. that uh, was done at the Signature Theater, which I'm sure maybe that was in your questions later. And I can, I can pause now and not go through that, but I will tell you that in the, in the writing, Mm -hmm. I became my most authentic self. Um, I, I agree, and we absolutely will cover uh, L O V E R, which yeah. is uh, which is your wonderful play. But I will uh, I'll, I'll challenge you on this a little bit because I think your authenticity came uh, a lot earlier than that. Uh, because and and we'll we'll kind of uh, get to that moment. But when the eighties uh, when the eighties stopped and you had to make a choice, uh, you made that choice, and that choice was all about you. Uh, deciding that you know being a mother and taking care of your children yes. was more important than your career. That is all about authenticity. So um, I, I think you 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 were there much earlier. But I agree with you that kind of that exploration and things came out uh, you know last couple of years when you were writing that uh, play, which we definitely want to talk about. Yeah, no, I think um, there is some truth definitely to that. I I did not want to miss the opportunity to be a mother, and I. You know, when I look back, I think uh, uh, quite a few of my friends who um, decided to, you know, stay the course with work yeah. and missed the boat and never had kids or ended up, you know, having to adopt later in life, which is wonderful. I mean, any way that you can become a parent is, I say, go for it. Um, but I knew that that was definitely something. I'm the youngest in my family and my sisters were all married with kids and my parents had a wonderful marriage. And I just knew that that was not something that... I wanted to um, you know, not have in my life. So that, yes, there's no question. I, I did make that authentic choice. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I, it just, again, it's, it's, it's a courageous one uh, because you were really successful. You were in demand uh, and then you decided to, uh, to put it on pause because you, you did something that was more important to you. I, I commend you for that. That's not a choice that many people would uh, have the guts to make. So going back to it and getting back to my career was a whole other journey. Yeah, which again is, is what I want to touch upon. So let's let's catch people up a little bit and then we'll uh, we'll dive into those. So uh, at five is when you discovered that you wanted to be an actress. I thought it was a is a really lovely story of how that happened. Can you please share that with everyone? Sure. I was in a school play. Yeah. Uh, uh, I was in the chorus. Um, and it was about the months of the year and all during rehearsal, I was coveting the role of April, 
um, April showers bring May flowers and the month of April had to cry on cue and wouldn't you know, I swear to God, it was like like uh, visualization, like creative visualization. I, the morning of the play, the uh, this girl Joni, who was playing the month of April, was sick. Oh. And I went up to my teacher, Miss Vicario, and I said, Miss Vicario, I know uh, Joni's part. I can play the month of April. And she said, are you sure, Lois? I said, yes, I know all her lines, everything. She said, okay. And she pinned the umbrella onto me and I went out and played the month of April perfectly, cried on cue, got the applause. And I thought, oh yeah, this is what I'm going to do with my life. That's amazing. Uh, the ability to cry on cue is something that we certainly need as actors. And I want to explore that uh, shortly of how you uh, you do that if you still do that or you're able to do that, um, but you didn't uh, kind of start out being a child uh, actress because and I had Adam Glass uh, on uh, yesterday and we were talking about this. His daughter is an actress and I think your parents uh, did what he was uh, doing with his daughter, which is to say, hey, we support you fully, but you know, until you're an adult, you're not going to be a pro at this. We're not going to. Uh, my parents said that um, until I was old enough to get myself to the city for auditions, okay. uh, they would not, you know, they weren't dragging me in there. So yeah. I guess at about 16, you know, and I could take the train in for myself or got my driver's license and could drive for myself. And I started uh, working professionally, but um yeah, it, they were definitely not so into it. They did allow me, you know, to go to college ultimately and be a theater major and all that, but they thought this was not an honorable profession and that they were the worst people in show business and nobody, oh no, no loyalty. I mean, my father had a list of reasons why I shouldn't do it, but ultimately they really respected how hard I worked and how much I was very devoted very early on and was always like the lead in my school plays and... I clearly had a talent for it and they respected that and saw it and, and the hard work, you know, my dad really respected hard work. So ultimately they said, go for it. Now, there, there's a lot of stuff to unpack there, but um, in terms of, uh, in terms of your parents, um, did they learn that you know, kind of their outside perspective of what the industry is like is not necessarily what it is on the inside. There's definitely parts of it that are like that, but as you got into it, were you able to uh, to kind of expand their uh, horizons with the good things about it? You know, the only thing I can say is what they respected when they saw me working, they were always very proud and, but I can't disagree with them. I think there are some pretty disloyal people in show business. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> lots, of, lots of ego, lots of, uh, yeah. you know, uh, backstabbing, lots of all sorts of things going mm -hmm. on, absolutely. Yes. Um, and then uh, in, in retrospect, kind of looking back at, you know, do you wish that you, uh, that you were this, you know, quote unquote, uh, child actress, or do you like the fact that you didn't really, you know, get to do uh, things professionally until you were 17? No, I think it was a really good choice uh, for a lot of reasons. First of all, my eldest daughter mm -hmm. uh, decided when she was about 13 or 14 that she wanted to be an actress. And I was doing, I guess at the time, maybe a guest shot on um, Sex and the City. Yep. And I asked Sarah Jessica Parker, uh, what do you think? Should I let her do this? Because she'd been, obviously, she, she was a child actor. She yep. said, only theater. Just let her do theater. Because theater gives you a work ethic that film and television 
don't give child actors. It's too much pampering and uh, too much attention. So they, they really have to, you know, learn how, what the business of acting is in theater. In any case, I let my daughter audition for the then revival of uh, The Sound of Music with Rebecca Luker when she was playing Maria. And my daughter made it through eight trials down to the finals and she was down to the five finalists for I think the role of Marta. Okay. She didn't get it. And then she was called back for the first national tour several times. Didn't get it. She got into the car after that last audition, burst into tears and just said, mom, this is horrible. I'm never doing this again. And at that moment, I understood why my parents did not allow me to do it because it's not just about learning that you don't always win. Mm -hmm. I think for young women, especially, uh, it's so bad for your, just for your spirit, for your soul, never feeling like you're good enough. You know, that was one example I'm giving you of things that didn't work out in her, in her favor, but that was the ultimately the reason why she decided it wasn't for her. And I, I really felt for my parents. I was, of course, they wouldn't want to have wanted me to go through this. Talk about hard knocks. I mean, that is like a real, when you're developing who you are as a person to be told you're not good enough over and over and over again, NG, not, not a great thing for a kid. And um, so I'm really happy that they didn't allow me to. And I'm very sorry that I put my daughter through that. I mean, ultimately she wanted to, and so I let her do what my parents didn't allow me to, but I was really happy when she said enough is enough. Okay. It's, it's her decision. And um, that ultimately I think will help her because she will not feel uh, later in life that she never got her chance. Exactly. And that's, that's where I came in, you know, because I dreamed of being an actor when I was a kid, then we immigrated. And I never, you know, kind of pursued it until later. And I always wanted to come back to it. And I felt deprived in a way of the opportunity to do something that I thought I was good at. And then I gave myself that opportunity. So when my daughter said that she wants to act, I said, okay, yeah, you're, you know, you know she's, she was 14, I think at that time. I said, that's fine. Let's get you an agent. You know, if it's going to happen organically, I'm all, uh, I'm all for it. But I need to see from you that this is what you want to do. It's not just a it's a little thing that I want to play with. Right. Now, if I see that the person like you were talking about, that there is that dedication, hard work, and this is yours, I'm fully into supported. If there is not, then you know, let's do something else. Because unless you want to do this uh, and you can't not do this because this is air for you, you shouldn't be doing it. Right. Yeah. You just reminded me, I, I can remember having a couple of, arguments with my daughter because she would have auditions where she needed to memorize lines um, and she really never wanted to do it and I just said Olivia you know you have to you have to be willing to do this part of it this is part of the job and um, yeah. it wasn't worth it you know it, it you you got to be so hungry as you know and if and I know she she wanted it but she I don't think at that time she was too young to understand what it really took to to make it happen. So I shouldn't have been arguing with her about it. That was like, not good mommy. Not, not a good, I didn't do a good job there. <laughs> Listen, I, I argue with my kids all the time and I'm hoping that some of it is going to be for their benefit. Um, it's certainly not for my benefit because I just, uh, I, I you know, go off the rails and then I have to bring myself back and go to my meditations. And uh, it's, it's, it's a whole process which I'm not enjoying. 
Um, okay, let's let's get back to you. So uh, you, growing up, I think uh, I read, and uh, from what you've mentioned, you dreamed of uh, being at a soap opera. And there's one in particular that you loved. And I want to make sure that I have that, so I'm going to look down. So Ryan's Hope was mm -hmm. your favorite growing up. Um, once you started, you started on, you know, Another Life. Then you did an episode of Falcon Crest, uh, which um, I, I had a wonderful conversation with William R. Moses. So that was, you know, his uh, kind of introduction to acting. Um, then you did uh, One Life to Live, and then you get to uh, to Ryan's Hope. Mm -hmm. Growing up and loving the show, what was it like as an actress to walk onto that set and realize that now I'm a part of it? I was in heaven. I and mean, I was really, I couldn't believe it. And um, it really had been like a, you know, a, a dream of mine. I remember when the show started airing, I, was, I said to my uh, friend at the time, uh, oh my God, when I, when I get older, I'm going to be on this show. I really saw it. I don't know why. I'm very much, I really do believe I've mentioned it now twice. Creative visualization is a huge thing. And I just imagined myself there and it almost felt like, oh yeah, I was supposed to be here. That's, that's how I felt at the time. Of course, I was in awe of all those actors. I mean, come on, Bernie Barrow and, and um, Helen Gallagher and um, Nancy Addison, who became a very dear friend who sadly passed away, and Eileen Kristen, um, Yasmin Bleeth. I mean, you know, all these amazing people that I was working with. It was thrilling, really thrilling. And Malcolm Broom, loved working with Malcolm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. What, what was it like uh, from an acting perspective to act with those people that you've you know, grown uh, to uh, love all of these years? Um, were you able to, uh, to kind of snap in or it was just a, it, it took an adjustment uh, for you to, uh, to really ground yourself in it? No, I think it, by that point I had already had enough, you know, um, experience on daytime to uh, just feel like I belonged there. And I think whether or not that was me talking myself into, as I think a lot of actors do, you, know, you have to believe that you belong there. Otherwise, you could make yourself very nervous. I, I remembered a story um, a couple of days ago. I was doing an interview, and uh, I remember when Imogene Coca was a guest on Ryan's Hope. Mm -hmm. And this was amazing to me because here, this woman was a legend. And I, my scenes, her scenes were with me. And uh, she said to me, am I okay? Am I doing okay? And I said, Miss Coca, you're asking me if you're okay? I, I'm scared to be working with you. You're a legend for goodness sake. <laughs> am I okay? You know, and that, that was a real lesson for me also that, you know, it doesn't matter how far we've come or how much work we have under our belt. Actors are generally pretty insecure people and we always want to be proving to the other actors we're working with that we're okay and we know what we're doing, we've got this. And uh, yeah, so I, I did feel at the time, I think that I, I belonged there and I talked myself into the fact that I belong there. <laughs> and it was just thrilling to work with them. I mean, they were all, you know, for the most part, everybody on that set were all theater people. Everybody had done theater, and so they were all really wonderful actors. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's great. Let's talk about creative visualization and, you know, law of attraction and other things that, uh, you know, some people believe in, some people don't. But I remember myself as a kid, uh, I was, again, this is back in Ukraine, I was on a bus, uh, I think maybe I was four or five years old, I don't remember exactly. 
I was on a bus and the bus was going through the center of the city and then this kind of scene opened up where there's this beautiful stadium. And I said, yep, I'm gonna be there. I didn't know what it was called. I didn't know anything about it. I just knew that I was gonna be there. And then lo and behold, a number of years uh, later, um, a coach came in and said, hey, uh, kids who wants to uh, do some fencing. I said, yeah, let's, let's do fencing. I love fencing. I grew up watching Three Musketeers and Alexander Dumas was one of my favorite uh, books uh, to read. And uh, where was that? It was at that stadium. So it's, I've noticed, and I kind of made a mental note to myself at that point of, ooh, okay, I see it, I decide I'm gonna do it, and it's gonna happen. And then over and over, it's happened in my life. And uh, for the most part, it's, it's clockwork. You set an intention and it happens. So, you know, knock on wood, that's, that's what my life has been uh, like. Uh, seems like you found uh, some similarities for yourself as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I even, oddly enough, this is uh, having a daughter. Um, I am the youngest of four girls. All my sisters had girls first. My husband was the middle of three boys and all of his brothers had sons. And my husband had a son from a previous marriage. And he said to me, look, if we get married, you just need to know that you won't have girls. We don't make girls in our family. And I said, you don't understand yeah. <laughs> having a girl first. I've always known I was going to have a girl first and you will have a daughter. And I just knew it. And sure enough, there she was. <laughs> My husband couldn't believe it. I do have a cousin who told me that while um, men think that they determine the sex, he's an obstetrician, my cousin. He said it, it is not entirely up to the man. A lot of it has to do with the woman's environment, mm. how the sperm swim. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um, yeah. Little deviation from our acting conversation. <laughs> but acting, acting is life. Acting is reflection of self. Acting is finding uh, you know, others in the, in the role and being able to, <clears throat> to be grounded in that moment. So for me, spirituality is a huge part of my acting. Uh, I, I know uh, other actors and my God, his name keeps escaping me. He's one of the greatest actors, Jeremy Irons, uh, wow. one of the greatest actors of uh, you know, our and past generation. He said that you know, the way that he's acting is he's basing it on uh, chakra. You know, where is my energy and at what chakra is that character? You know, is he at the, uh, the base chakra? Is he at the crown chakra? Where is he? And then he finds uh, kind of that character and the flow and the energy in it. Um, I'm all, all uh, about that. So uh, to me, it's all acting. Right, you're right. I, mean, I did um, a meditation and yoga retreat with Deepak Chopra several years ago. Mm -hmm. I keep a chart in my room of the chakras, this beautiful chart that I got at that. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm all about it too. <laughs> Very cool. So uh, actors out there, start practicing, uh, you know, law of attraction, start practicing, uh, you know, creative visualization. Hey, all of us get rejection all the time anyway. Why not use something else that may help you along the path? Okay. Um, so also on that note, I just want to say that, you know, there's certain actors you think of, you think, oh, I would love to work with them. And then you find yourself on set with them. That's yeah. happened to me a lot. Okay. And, oh, oh, got it. I thought you were going somewhere else with that. Uh, statement. No, I just mean that I, I actually visualized myself working with certain actors and then I'm working with them. It's crazy. Perfect. And again, I mean, there's so many stories. Jim Carrey put a, uh, you know, wrote himself a check for $20 million when he was broke 
saying, you know, this is gonna, I'm gonna be able to cash this check. And then for, you know, uh, I don't remember which movie it was, maybe it was for, uh, actually, I'm not gonna say it because I don't uh, remember which exact movie, but he made that 20 million. So it's, it's all about, you know, not all about, but a big part of it is, uh, you know, setting that intention, sending it out into the universe and, uh, and continuing to work hard to get there. So uh, true believer in that myself. Um, okay, getting back to uh, to your career because I want to I want to come to uh, to certain pivotal moments. So you did uh, you played another doctor, which is which is very cool. You played another doctor on All My Children, uh, ran uh, that for a couple of years. And was it after All My Children that uh, that you got pregnant with uh, with your girl, as you knew, uh, and uh, you decided to take a pause, or was there something in between? Um, let's see. No, I did All My Children, and then I moved to Los Angeles. Okay. Uh, and then I believe it, I think you're out of order because I believe after that was when I did Falcon Crest. And um, Falcon Crest was '83, I think, at least based on the IMDb. But we can check. No, that. definitely no. I was on. I was on all my children. I mm -hmm. left to move to to LA, um, and then I. They, they, I don't think they have it all right. And then I did Falcon Crest out there. Yeah, I, I was there for two years, and then I came back and got married to my husband and um, had my daughter. Yeah. So she was born in '89. Um, okay. Yeah, the year that I came to the United States. But uh, you were on Falcon Crest for a couple of years. It was not one episode. No. No, it was just one episode. Okay, okay, got it. Sorry, uh, I'm I the IMDb Pro is kind of my go-to. Yeah, so they, they don't, the dates on there are not entirely correct. I don't think. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> and that's, also, that's they even say all the episodes of things that you that you did. Like I was, you know, I had contract roles on these soaps, and it only lists like three episodes or four. It's weird. Got it. Okay, thank you. I'll I'll keep that in mind uh, next time <laughs> I'm doing research on things. Um, so 89 and uh, you decided to uh, to kind of take a pause obviously uh, because you had your first baby um, I, that's not I, that's not entirely true either what happened was I had her and then several weeks later my agents got a call for me to be on um, I think it was as the world turns okay and um, <clears throat> I was on the soap and I remember calling my agents crying 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 I was um, not, it, I don't think I was having postpartum depression, but I was really missing my daughter. Like, I just was not ready to go back to work. I think it was eight weeks after she was born. And I said, I can't, I can't do this. You have to get me written off the show because I, I, you've got to tell them I'm just not ready to be here. And that's when I, um, I, I left As the World Turns and decided that I needed to focus on being a mom and enjoy that because I knew it was going to go really fast. Um, and that's what I did. And, and then I did you know, audition a couple of auditions here and there, but I think when you're not really mentally available, uh, you don't get work. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you did a few things in the '90s. Uh, you did, you know, Sex in the City was uh, was in the '90s. So uh, I know you mentioned uh, Jessica, but as as a native New Yorker, kind of as a native New Yorker, as a woman, uh, as a beautiful woman. What was uh, kind of uh, the juxtaposition of all of those things being on a set that dealt with all three of those aspects? It was really interesting. I mean, I know that uh, at the time that I was, was the first season and um, I became friendly with Kim Cattrall, we were really connected. And yeah. I don't think she was as tight with the other 
women on set. I think she was a little bit older than they were. And I, 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 I just don't think they were particularly cozy um, with her at the time. And it was interesting to watch a dynamic like that, especially because, as I said, I'm the youngest of four women. So I'm accustomed to seeing the dynamic between women. And I thought it was really interesting. I mean, for the most part, I think they were, they were all great. They were all thrilled to have this job. And um, it was a set composed other than Darren Starr, who later in life became a good friend, which is so funny. Yeah. Um, and I didn't even meet him then. I remember being with him in the audition room, but I didn't really know who he was. I was also like a kid, you know, and I didn't really get how incredible this opportunity was. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, it was just, it was fun. I mean, it was just really, really fun. Very cool. I loved it. Yeah, I, again, with, with Kim Cattrall, people, uh, people obviously associate her with, uh, with Sex and the City, but I, you know, I remember having a crush on Kim Cattrall when I was, uh, when I was growing up in Mannequin. So, yeah. you know, I've, I've known of Kim Cattrall for a long time before right. Sex and the City ever happened. So, um, okay. Right. You, uh, in 2000s, again, you, you did some projects, but you really kind of started to return now, uh, you know, into the scene, so to speak, uh, about five years ago. Um, uh, more like 10. Okay. 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah. Uh, again, then IMDb dates uh, yeah. are, are, are weird. So we'll, we'll, we'll leave that one. Yeah. But what was, uh, again, coming back and making the conscious decision, okay, that I'm, I'm ready and I'm interested and the juices are flowing again. What was that transition uh, kind of period like for you? It was a um, ego uh, sucking. <laughs> um, I had to really dig deep because I felt like people had forgotten who I was. And it wasn't as if I hadn't been working, Alan. I had been for, mm, let's see, the last 15 years or so, I, because the television work dried up. I had had these kids and I was been raising my kids and um, I decided, I said to my husband, look, um, I was here for you while you were building your business yeah. and now tag, you're it. Uh, the only way that I'm gonna get back my career is if I do theater. And the only way I'm gonna get to do theater is if I go out of town. So I picked periods of time when, and I, oh my God, if I tell you the things that I did, I mean, I went back to, they're called Actors Access, not Actors Access, um, one of these audition places where you go and you meet, I forget what it's called, where you meet casting directors and agents and managers, something that like kids in their, you know, 16 to 25 are doing. Mm -hmm. And I went back to these, to this place and I started reconnecting and I'm paying, you know, mm -hmm. to sit with casting people who knew me. Mm -hmm. And several of them said to me, Lois, what the hell are you doing here? You don't need to be here. Um, but I did get a new manager that way. And I, you know, I, I got the ball rolling and I really sucked it up. And I just thought, you know what, even if I have to pay at this juncture, these people need to know that I'm alive and that I'm back, like I need to work. Yeah. And I started getting a lot of really good jobs out of town. I went to work at the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center for two summers, doing some great work there. I got, um, I worked at the Schoolhouse Theater in Croton, New York a few times. I got jobs there. 
I connected with Richard Maltby, who ended up putting me in a writing, a musical for me. He came to see me at a, at a one woman show that I'd put together and he called me at home. Um, this was when my youngest daughter was in nursery school. So I, I'm, tr I'm telling you this because it wasn't really the last five years. I've been working my tail mm -hmm. off probably for the last 20 years, but out of town. So people didn't know like what I was doing, but I was laying the foundation uh, to get myself back where I felt I deserved to be. And finally it led to um, a production of Cactus Flower, which was taken to um, the uh, Albany Rep. And then um, Daryl Roth produced it at um, the West Side Theater. And that was sort of the beginning of people saying, oh, wow, Lois, I got a, the show did not get a good review, but I got an awesome review in the New York Times and things started to change. I got a great new agent and um, everything shifted for me. And then all of a sudden I started getting back into television and film. But when I tell you I worked my butt off, I really worked hard. I was, and I missed time with my children to do it because I went, I was, uh, worked at the Rubicon Theater in Ventura doing the Maltby musical. I did it in Buffalo at Studio Arena Theater. Uh, round, uh, the Roundabout did it in their black box. Um, so, but it was, it had many incarnations that show and I uh, was with Brian Sutherland and Michael Bush directed it. Uh, he also directed Cactus Flower. So I, I created these relationships that, um, you know, that's what it is. We're, it's a business about relationships and I, I really worked hard. So that's, that's when things started back again for me. Great for you because it's, uh, again, um, you know, we as people, it's, it's hard to, uh, A, take an objective look at yourself and uh, where you are at any point. B is to actually do something about it. And uh, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so happy that you did because you got your career back and you're doing more and more wonderful things that we'll, we'll touch upon in a few minutes. Um, good for you. Good for you. Um, um, and it should be a lesson to everybody who's, uh, who's watching that it doesn't matter, you know, what you have done before or where you have been or what you have accomplished. You constantly need to continue reinventing yourself. You have to work hard at this business. It does not work any other way. I mean, work begets work and you have to create work for yourself if, you know, the work isn't coming. People have to know that you're tenacious. Mm -hmm. um, agents and managers don't want to be working with people who they feel aren't working hard themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, we're, we're working our way up to Lover. We're almost there. Uh, but, you know, a few, few stops along the way. I think chronologically these will be correct. Please correct me from that. <laughs> So um, you did, uh, in 2015, you did uh, Ithaca, which was uh, Mac Ryan's uh, directorial debut. Um, what was it like to, uh, to have Meg uh, directing you? Uh, it was amazing. From the very first meeting with her um, to being on set with her, she was really an actress actor. And because she's, you know, has the body of work behind her that she has, mm -hmm. she was an incredible director. She knew how to talk to the actors on set. She was very private with us. She, you know, she would come and speak quietly into your ear and tell you if she wanted to, you know, uh, make, if you want, she wanted you to make an adjustment and very respectful. Um, yeah, she was great. You know, nice. to her. I'm sorry that the film, did not do better because it was a beautifully shot film and an amazing cast. And uh, I thought she did a, a, a 
gorgeous job. That's wonderful. Glad to hear that. Thank you. Um, when when I read that it was her directorial debut, I actually I had kind of a double take because I remember hearing about something being her first, and I remember French Kiss being one of those. But French Kiss was her first production, uh, uh, you know, project. It was not oh. directorial debut. So uh, you know, Love <laughs> yeah, French Kiss again. Her Kevin Klein. It's just it's it's all it's all amazing. Um, okay, you you did Blowtorch uh, in 2016 with uh, with again one of my favorite actors, Armando Sante. Um, in working, and again, Armando is just one of the examples of the incredible number of uh, actors that you've worked with. Um, what, as an actress yourself, you know, what do you pick up from their approaches that you're able to utilize later? You know that that was an incredible cast all the way around, Armando yeah. Sante. Um, Paul Ben Victor, who is an extraordinary actor, um, and uh, Billy uh, Baldwin was a dream to work with. Uh, Jared Abrahamson, who's on a series now, and uh, Jack Falahi. I mean, these were really, and that was Jack's, you know, um, first big film role, and his career skyrocketed after that. Uh, it was an incredible group of people, of course, working, as you said, with Armando Santi, that was, uh, it was a dream. Um, I couldn't believe that I was, you know, on set with him. But um, again, you know, I feel like things happen in your career, I think, when they're meant to happen. And I was ready for that role. I mean, it was an extraordinary opportunity for me. It was a role that I would generally not be cast in, a very blue collar character. Um, I really had to dig deep to work on that. I took a waitress job in Brooklyn uh, to prepare for it because as I told you, my dad would not let me waitress, but I thought this character is a waitress and I need to know what that's like. So I did that in preparation. So I walked onto that set uh, fully knowing who my character was and excited to you know dig my heels in with all those actors and it was a brutal um i think it was a either an 18 or a 21 day shoot oh kathy najimi also who i loved working with i mean she was amazing i love kathy um but i you know that i felt like again that i belonged there with them because i'm a really hard worker and um I do, you know, all my preparation before. I never walk walk on set without knowing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing and always amenable to shifting and, you know, taking direction and, you know, seeing what the other actors are giving me so that, you know, I'm Meisner trained. So I love to work off of other people and these were amazing people to be able to work off of. Yeah, and that's, again, when, when I look at Armando Sante's work, it seems like he's doing a lot of Meisner because he's very available. He's always there. And again, I'm not looking into your eyes right now. I'm looking into the camera, but he's he's there. And I thought that, you know, there's definitely some Meisner there. I'm glad that uh, you're the same way. Yeah. I think a, a lot of uh, film actors, it's it's a great way to be trained because you really are so focused and, you know, uh, and, a lot has to be going on internally. Um, yeah, you need, need to be able to work off of other people. But that was an extraordinary experience. Thank Perfect. you for bringing it up. <laughs> yeah, of course. Listen, you have so many projects. We, we can spend the next two hours just talking about you know, all those projects, but we'll move on. Um, I want to talk, uh, talk about your play. So you started writing, uh, I think you said it took kind of uh, you know, about four years 
uh, to write. You've started writing things. You started writing a book. And then you had a chance encounter, you know, talking, getting back to our spirituality. Yes. You had a chance encounter with, uh, with a psychic who said, hey, uh, actually, I'll let you tell that story. So what Great story. So I started writing a book, and yeah. my husband and I were going to uh, spend the month of August in Malibu. And I thought, oh, this will be great. I'll get a lot of writing done here. Mm-hmm. And um, I couldn't write it. I didn't like Malibu. I'm sorry for all of you people from Malibu. I just didn't like Malibu. And I was missing my friends back east. And I just was having not not a really fun summer. And um, August is generally quiet work-wise until you get toward the end of the month when things start picking up again. So I got back to New York and my youngest daughter called me. She said, Mom, I just had a psychic reading with this woman. She is unbelievable. She speaks to your spirit guides. You have to talk to her. My daughter's as into that as I am. So I make an appointment to speak to this woman. And my daughter had seen her in person, but I had to talk to her on the phone because she's in LA and I was back in New York at that point. And we start, she said, what do you want to know? And I said, well, you know, I just finished doing this film. Maybe it was Blowtorch. I don't remember it, but I think it was Blowtorch. Yeah, Timeline, I think that was right. And I said, and I really thought that all these amazing opportunities were going to open up for me and not much is happening. And I'm very confused by it. I want to know you know, what, do you see any great work for me, like coming up? Mm-hmm. And she said, well, let me speak to your guides. And she comes back and she says, well, let me ask you a question. I know you didn't ask me about this, but your guides want to know. Um, it seems that you started writing a book. Well, they want me to tell you it isn't a book. It's a play and it's a woman's story and it's about sex. And if you write it, it's a game changer. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And so um, I, I hung up the phone with her and I went to bed and in the middle of the night, I literally bolted upright and I thought, oh my God, of course that's what it's about. I ran into my office, I started writing an outline mm-hmm. and it was flowing out of me. And in the first two weeks, I thought, I think I have something here. So I, um, Daryl Roth had produced uh, Cactus Flower. So I, we really got to know each other and I sent her an email and uh, I said, uh, Daryl, I'm working on something and I'd love to come and talk to you about it in about two weeks because at the rate that I was writing, I knew I could have a first draft done in two weeks, two more weeks. Mm -hmm. So I literally wrote the whole first draft in four weeks. I went to her office and uh, she said, well, what do you got? I said, well, I think it's a a one woman play and um, she said, well, okay, read it to me. So I sat in her office and I read her the entire play. Mm-hmm. And she said, Lois, you definitely have something. Um, I think you should change the title. At, the, at, the, at that time, the title was called Bearing It All. And B-A-R-I-N-G. And she said, no, I think you should. And in the script was L-O-V-E-R. Yeah. And she said, I think you should call it L-O-V-E-R. Mm-hmm. It's a catchier title. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. She said, and then I need you to write me a scene about adversity, something that's really going to break my heart. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. And um, I went home and I was taking a trip to Phoenix, Arizona. And on the plane, I wrote the scene about adversity uh, on my iPad, which uh, was a scene about breast cancer. And I get to Phoenix and I go to my iPad to rewrite and prove what I had written and it was completely gone 
but I remembered, I couldn't believe, and I thought, talk about adversity. I've just written this brilliant, brilliant scene, and now it's gone. But there were a few things that I had written that stuck in my head, and one of them, getting back to authenticity, mm-hmm. was if I was going to be imperfect, I would do it perfectly. Yeah. And I thought, just remember that line, go to sleep, wake up in the morning, you'll rewrite the scene. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened, and I did it. And quite frankly, couldn't believe that I had neglected to write that in the play because it should have been there in the, to begin with. Um, but ultimately, the play became um, like a coming out party. And it became uh, an opportunity for me to be my most authentic self. And because I wrote it, and because I had taken really taken charge of my own career, um, all of a sudden I started getting all of these job offers and opportunities started flying at me. And I thought, I'm walking into rooms differently. I am actually being my most authentic self. And that is clearly resonating because I, I you know, booked like television stuff and I've been booking guest shots and movies and all this stuff. And so anyway, I'll let you ask your questions. I won't say any more about L-O-V-E-R. Yeah, um, and a ton of stuff that you have is coming up. It's it's either about to be released or you're almost finished uh, shooting it. Uh, so yeah, there's there's a ton of uh, of things that uh, that are on the table. Uh, but in the LVR, what was the you know for you? I, I understand the exhilaration and uh, and the pride in in being able to do so. What was the reaction from the people? Uh, once you had a chance to actually put it on stage because you've been in multiple locations uh, performing the play. Multiple locations, uh, three different directors who helped develop the play. Um, You know, it was interesting from the very first um, incarnation of it to the last because what Karen Carpenter did, and she is such an incredibly brilliant director and dramaturge. We worked together for six months prior to the first day of rehearsal. Daryl thought that she would be perfect for the piece and um, she was so right. What Karen did for me is instead of me telling the story, she had me living the story and becoming myself as a child, becoming myself as a teenager, becoming the people that I was referring to, instead of talking about them, I became them. So she took the play to a whole other uh, place. And um, Sonia Sebastian, who directed it in um, Los Angeles, also was also a brilliant dramaturge, but English isn't her first language, she's Spanish. And so there was a little bit of that, you know, it was is a little bit harder in terms of the comedy and all that, but mm-hmm. I love Sonia to pieces. She's fantastic. She actually hired me to do a film that was in the middle of shooting and then COVID happened and hopefully it'll finish up. But anyway, um, but so all these people helped to develop the piece and the, the reaction to people that know me, mm-hmm. uh, some people were a little bit judgy about the fact that I would share all of this personal information, you know, all about my love life or whatever, um, that they didn't quite understand why I would want to do that. Uh, There were some people that just, uh, my kids, which for me was the most important element, were so incredibly proud. My husband, so incredibly proud that I 
could write it, that I did write it, that I put myself out there like that to be that vulnerable. Um, people that uh, I didn't know would come up to me after the show and just say, thank you so much for writing this. You just told my wife's story. You just told my story. You just told my sister's story. Um, you know, just thank you. I got a lot of thank yous. And that for me was so gratifying. I feel like I really um, helped a lot of people. That's, that's so incredible. What I think what people miss is that when we become vulnerable, there is enormous strength in vulnerability. You find yourself, you become a lot more, uh, a lot more accessible to yourself and you become a lot less interested in others' judgments or opinions. And it's, it's a very different, uh, it's a very different process. Uh, people realize that you're being vulnerable. They want to, uh, to get to know you and those judgments uh, kind of uh, fall by the wayside. Yeah. Um, it's it's contrary to thinking for some people, but uh, again, what a great thing uh, that you've done. Uh, I really, really uh, respect it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it felt good. It felt really, it was very liberating and it was very raw, um, that, but ultimately the payoff has been tremendous. Excellent. And uh, again, just, it's, it's a little bit tongue in cheek, but you know, is there anything that your kids like, oh, okay, mom, that's a little too much information that I wanted to know about you. Yeah. Actually, my son, who's just the sweetest human, okay. uh, gave me a card for my birthday that said, you know, how proud he was of me that I had written this and had performed it and everything. And he said, I may know more about you than I should, but I couldn't be more proud. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, Jack Quaid, by the way, who you've got, you had a chance to work with, uh, Jack Quaid uh, saw, you know, Meg's scene, uh, he, he saw it as an adult and he's like, okay, mom, I'm very proud of you. I'm very proud of what you did in that scene. And of course, we're talking about when Harry met Sally. Right. If you haven't seen that scene, um, I don't know what rock you've been living on. Um, so it, that's, that's awesome. Okay. Um, moving on, moving on. Uh, acting approach. Because when you, when you were just describing what, uh, what you did in uh, LOVR, and by the way, we say that because it's not LOVER, it's an acronym, and uh, each letter stands for something, and uh, we're not going to ruin it. You have to see it play. Um, when you did it, you had to be different characters, and you had to be different characters in different uh, age uh, uh, ranges. And you were the one that wrote the play. So even though you know the words, there were a lot of things that you had to play with. How... Uh, easy or difficult was it from an acting perspective? You know, for me, rehearsal is everything, and I'm I'm an actor that really loves to rehearse, like to a degree that if they tell me, well, we're going to do four hours today, I, I'm begging for six. You know, I can't rehearse enough because I need to have everything really in my body, mm -hmm. and um, especially when you're playing, you know, a little girl or I'm playing my mother or I'm playing my father or I'm playing my two best friends who had very different personalities. Um, and Karen helped me with that a, a lot. But once, you know, rehearsal is everything. So it, Deepak Chopra has that, he says, uh, success comes when preparation and opportunity meet, which is one of my favorite quotes. Mm -hmm. uh, for me as an actor, that's, that's it. And once I did the rehearsal and once it was in my body, I felt like I could go out there every night and just have fun and explore and 
every night it was a little bit different because the audience is always different. Um, but ultimately, those people were there. I, you know, because I've known these people my whole life, and they were they're a part of me. So um, it was very fun finding them, and it was more about a gesture or something I did with my voice. It was could be very simple, and I realized after I saw um, what was the the two-man show that was done at the public theater that um oh gosh uh love him and he has a sister who's also an actress he's very uh um, well the the man who has a sister who's also an actress is john cusack and joan cusack but i'm not no, 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 not them oh uh oh god he was in brokeback mountain um oh uh yes the two-man show you know he just does the first act and i forget who the wonderful actor is who did the second act but or maybe jake does the second act in any case while i was preparing for l-o-v-e-r i went to see that and i realized how little you have to do in order to have the audience believe that you are another character it's it's the slightest gesture but it's all about the internal monologue, you know, what's going on inside. So that was very helpful to me to see, to, to watch. But um, anyway, I think I answered your question. You know, yeah. it, it was just in the preparation. That's great. And that, again, uh, kind of rolling into your specific acting approach. I know theater is, uh, there are some similarities, obviously, between the uh, acting in theater and acting on camera. But, you know, what have you found over the years that works best for you aside from uh, preparation? Um, relaxation. I always do a relaxation. Um, uh, generally it's a meditation, um, a guided meditation. Music is very helpful to me to get me. I always have for every different film or um, theater uh, piece that I'm doing, I always have music that is my prep music. It puts me in the in the frame of mind of that character. What is that? What music would that character listen to? Um, and yeah, and just the, the the relaxation preparation, which is very important uh, to me. I do a, a breathing exercises, and um, and then I Larry Moss, who I've studied with, who I wrote the book um, The Actor Prepares. Is that mm -hmm. it? Actually, the actual prepares, prepares, I think, is Stanislavski. No, 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 not the actual prepares. The as aspects of, why do I always forget the name of Larry's book? It's well, the only book he's written, but everybody look it up. And if you're an actor, you must read Larry Moss's book. He gives you 50 questions to answer. And the very first question is, what was your birth like? And when I first started studying with Larry, I thought, what does he mean? What is my birth like? And then I thought about each of my children. Yeah. And the way that each of my kids came into this world is honestly so similar to what their personalities are in life. So I thought that is so relevant. Um, anyway, I go through the questions and I, um, and I, I really make a history for my character and um, I go through the scripts and, you know, I discover what do other people and the other characters say about my character um, I need to know who I am, where I came from. I, I make up a history. If it's not, if it's not in the text, I make it up and then I let it all go. I have it there and I let it go. And then I work, you know, the way I trained with Meisner working off of the other actor, but all that other stuff is in there. So it just allows me to play and that's fun. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Thank you for sharing. Um, 
I did not use music. I'm definitely need to start using music because I use it in everyday life. Uh, and uh, again, it's all about energy. So why not use music to get to the right uh, energy and to stay there? Thank you. That's, that's my takeaway I'm going to do immediately. After. That's good. Um, okay. Uh, one other thing that, uh, that I've heard you say in some interviews, and we're definitely not mentioning any of the actors' names, but the idea of it uh, fascinated me because I've never heard it before, with one exception. Uh, with uh, you know, Marlon Brando, we can mention, uh, towards the end of his career, he uh, he couldn't really you know memorize lines anymore, so he had it fed in, uh, through an earpiece. But what I heard you say is that you know a number of actors that you work with don't memorize lines. And not, a number, not a number. Huh? Not, a number of, not a number of actors. It's only one. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. If if it's one, then it makes sense. But I thought uh, it was multiple actors that do that, and that blew my mind because I've never heard that before. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, I can only, well, actually that was, that was, it's not a number of actors, but that was, that was the most surprising. <laughs> okay, got it. So we're not going to name the actor, but uh, you know, what's, what's the story there? Uh, the story was that um, I think that particular actor mm -hmm. uh, does an enormous amount of films, mm -hmm. goes literally from one film to the next and probably um, maybe sometimes doesn't read, I don't know what, you know, everybody has their own process. It's possible that they only read this, the scenes that they're going to be shooting the next day that they don't read the whole script for whatever reason mm -hmm. and um, maybe have trouble learning lines. And so occasionally this, the lines were taped up if it was an uh, interior scene that we were shooting if it's outside it's not easy to do but if it was an interior scene uh the, the lines would be taped up around the room and it you know i don't think it affected uh their performance at all but it was um it was just really surprising i and i guess because for me i i can't walk onto a set or onto into a rehearsal room if, if i'm told that we want you to have your lines down by whatever, or I need you to learn this material by, I, I'm like, it's happening. I feel like that's what I'm getting paid for. That's my job. Mm -hmm. You know, that's one of the biggest jobs of an actor is to learn your lines. And if they want you to improvise even better because you can improvise a whole lot better if you really know the material, yeah. you know the through line, right? Mm -hmm. But to not know your lines is kind of shocking. It's also, I think it makes it more difficult for the actors you're working with so, but that, I appreciate you're not asking me to mention. Who no, was. no, it's, it's uh, that that part is irrelevant. It just it's it's an area that I've never seen before on set. I haven't heard anybody talk about it aside from again Marlon Brando when he got older, which makes sense. Right. Uh, so to me, it was it was uh, something that's worth sharing with the rest of the audience because they may run into that. And then how do you approach it? And you know what do you how do you play with all that? So that was that was interesting. And um, uh, again, going kind of from theater to, uh, uh, to screen, you love rehearsal. Uh, you have a lot more rehearsal on stage than you have on screen. On screen, you barely have any rehearsal um, and it, you shoot out of sequence. Do you rehearse just on your own? You know, what have you found that works there? No, I, I generally work with a coach. Okay. Uh, if I'm preparing for a film and it's a role that I really feel 
Uh, I think it's very hard for actors to prepare um, alone. I mean, I can do all the homework on right. my own. I'll do all the history and all the stuff I talked about before on my own. But then I always feel like another pair of eyes on it because I could be going in a completely wrong direction. And the other thing I always want to make sure that I can do for my director when I get on set is to be able to make any sort of adjustments they want me to make, you know, when I need to make them. And the, I think the only way you can do that is to really be prepared again. So if I, I I'll work with my coach, uh, Bob McAndrew, who I've been working with for years and I adore him. Um, and he, you know, he'll, t he'll give me different adjustments. He'll say, try it this way, try it this way. What do you think if you entered the room like that or what, you know, what happened right before this moment or um, think of it as if, you know, we, uh, as if is a thing, uh, for those of you that don't know what an as if is, it could be, the scene could be about um, uh, your dog just died, but maybe you've never had a pet and you don't know what it would be like to lose a dog. So think about a different type of loss. It's as if you lost whatever, right? Um, something that was very meaningful to you. Um, I had a couple of films I had to do where I, God forbid, had lost a child. In a few different movies, I had lost my son. I thought, this is really weird, God forbid, you know. Mm -hmm. So what I, I had to do an as-if, I had to prepare an as-if. And in Blowtorch, you know, there was a scene where I had to break down. And I worked like that on that like crazy at home with, you know, photographs of my children and... Um, you know, what that would be like, you know, if God forbid, I mean, it was, and so, but you need to prepare ahead of time because they don't have a lot of time to shoot it. So I, on set, I had um, an object with me that belonged to my son and a photograph and again, music before I, you know, got to set that I listened to that got me in that frame of mind. And, you know, you just have to do whatever it is that works for you, that uh, objects work for me really well too. Okay, yeah, I, I, I want to dive in a little bit more because if you're using that as if and substitution, um, I found, again, I, I'm not, uh, not going to you know, put myself into the great actor category, but I found that when I do that, in some takes, beautiful. You know, I can cry, I get there, I feel it. In some takes, it just doesn't work. And because you have to shoot multiple takes and then you have to do coverages and you have to do all sorts of different shots, you know, do you find that uh, for you, it works on every take? Generally it does, um, but I'm very, very um, private on set. And, you know, if I have, if I'm doing a scene like that, I'm not, I mean, I'm very, com I have a lot of camaraderie with people I'm working with, but if I have a scene like that, I just let everybody know, you know, you're gonna have to forgive me until we're done. I'm like not talking to anybody because I just, I stay there. I just stay where I am. Also, I also, I think that just believing the given circumstances, mm -hmm. sometimes if you just believe those circumstances so much um, and, and you stay, and you just stay, you stay concentration, you've got to have enormous concentration. Uh, and that helps me. I mean, listen, I'm sure, I can't think of a moment, a time at this moment, but for most of my career, I've been able to hang on to it. Good, yeah. uh, good for you. Um, and is it, do you find that it's easy for you to snap out of it and go back to uh, your your base or are you carrying it with you? No, I don't carry it with me. I'm not good. an actor like that. I, I go to work, I do my job, I, I leave there and yeah, I love it's the you know it's the famous Lawrence Olivier story with Dustin Hoffman, right? You all know that story from Marathon Man. I think so, but uh, please please do tell. 
where where he uh, married Justin. It was the scene where he was going to be drilling his teeth, uh, where where uh, Lawrence Olivier was going to be drilling Dustin Hoffman's teeth, and he was supposed to have been up for days, and he was torturing him, and Dustin Hoffman didn't sleep for days and ran to set so that he would be exhausted and you know and and really be in that that moment and Laurence Olivier said to him my dear boy it's called acting <laughs> oh my goodness I I did not know that story thank you for sharing it yeah I'm I'm I'm, I'm not method and I definitely do not want to do uh do method for many reasons okay thank you um all right we, we got to our actors uh, lightning round um I think I know your answer to the first question but I'm going to ask it anyway so you've been on a ton of projects, obviously on stage and on screen. Which is your very favorite? Oh gosh, well, can I name more than one? Because of course, of course. One. Um, I, I have to say working with Jonathan Reese Myers and the Aspirin Papers was yeah. absolutely, first of all, it was shot in Venice. Yeah. Two weeks in Venice. It was a dream working with all those people. It just, I'll never have another experience like that again that I could think of. It was, extraordinary and he was absolutely a love to work with very giving and then you know doing my own show of course i'd have to say that was um, very very exciting perfect thank you um i thought you were going to say ryan's hope for everybody who thought that i knew what the answer was but uh, these are much uh, much better answers um what was the weirdest thing that ever happened to you on the set weirdest thing on set yeah oh this is fun um okay when I was working on Ryan's Hope and um, Ash Adams and I had a scene where he had to kiss me and um, he stuck his tongue down my throat. And at that time that you, know, you just don't do that. And John Hardy, the producer came down on set. Like he never you know, came down from the control booth down on set, stormed over to Ash Adams and screamed at him, don't you ever do that to any one of my actors ever again. How dare you? And he like really let him happen. I was like, whoa, I was really wild. I, we couldn't believe, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I wasn't thrilled that he did that at that time, but, um, but yeah, he did. And wow. that happened. Okay, thank you for sharing that. Uh, actors, please, uh, you know, if you don't know that by now, please make sure that you take this note down. Um, well, I don't think that applies anymore. I think, yeah. Well, maybe now in the year of COVID. <laughs> no, it's all, it's all, it's all different. Yeah. All bets are off. But yeah. yeah. Um, what? Who is the uh, the best actor that you ever got to work with from just you know pure acting stuff? God, I've worked with so many good actors. I know. Yeah. Um, I just worked with Dermot Mulroney. He's amazing, mm -hmm. and Penelope Ann Miller, amazing. Uh, Jonathan, yeah. just a dream. Um, God, I mean, I, I have really had a, a Billy Ball. I loved working with Billy. He was yeah. wonderful. I'm, I feel really blessed. I'm Helen Gallagher. You know, all of, I mean, I can go way back. I, I've had a, a good run. It's, mm -hmm. it's been amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on. I just have to go look at my resume to remind myself. But yeah. I have to say, I've, I've never, I feel very blessed. Oh, um, uh, working with um, 
uh, in my history of marriage, uh, the Lee Kelchheim and David Shire show with uh, Bonnie, um, uh, what's her name? Bonnie Franklin, who passed mm -hmm. away. She was amazing to work with. Uh, I, I loved working with um, with Maxwell Caulfield and Cactus Flower. He was a, mm -hmm. such a doll. I, I'm very lucky. I, I, I love all the people I work with. I really do. <laughs> Glad to hear that. Um, <clears throat> Which series or a film out there today that you wished you were in? Pretty much all of them. Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay, series, I would say wish I could have been in the Game of Thrones. Okay. I absolutely loved Game of Thrones. I lived for, for watching that. Um, I think that was brilliantly done. Which film... Um, recently i guess any of the films that sandra bullock has done i would uh, have loved to have done any of the films that uh, reese witherspoon has done any of the films i love comedy i don't get to do comedy enough um you know julia roberts any of those movies just name them all i would have killed to have done any of those films <laughs> I get yeah, that's that's fair um What's one thing most people do not know about you? How funny I am. <laughs> um, I, don't think, I don't think I really had an opportunity other than with the play uh, to show the comic side. I get cast a lot as intelligent women and mm -hmm. uh, career women. And I don't think that my comedy has yet to be seen, but it will be. It will be. <laughs> I also, I also do accents really well. And when Shepard comes out and I play a German woman in Shepard, uh, people will see that I'm, I'm quite good at that. So. Yeah, I saw a clip. Uh, it's, it's in your demo reel. Um, I, I saw it and it's very good. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, if you could change one thing about yourself, what would that be? Oh, wait, Alan, I just have to tell you, you know, that I do these interviews on Fridays called Lessons with Lois. Yeah. And that's my question that I ask at the end of every... Uh, every interview, I always ask okay. one thing I haven't done yet. What would it be? Okay. So that's what you just asked me. Um, uh, well, it, does it have to be something in my career? Or could it be? Um... Doesn't have to be. Okay, I would like to uh, climb uh, Machu Picchu, and uh, I would like to skydive. <laughs> okay. Two things um... that I'm terrified of doing, but I want to do. Yeah, um, you know, put me on that list as well. Skydiving is something I'm terrified of doing. Terrified. Okay. Last question. And um, if you had a chance to talk to, uh, to your younger self and give one bit of acting advice, what would that be? Such a good question. And it's one I ask as well, so I should really have it at the tip of my tongue. <laughs> Uh, I guess to really believe in yourself because it took me a long time to get there and um, to believe in yourself and to take every opportunity um, and really uh, appreciate it because while I think that I did um, when I was younger, I don't think I capitalized on some of the opportunities I was given. And I, what I learned later is that um, show business, acting is a business. Mm -hmm. 
And you have to be, and I've said this a lot, you have to be the CEO of your own career. And early on, I did not realize that it's a business about relationships and that people want to work with their friends and that you have to create the work for yourself. You know, I really did not know that when I was really young and I got lucky, but um, we have to create our luck. So I would just say, you know, I would, I would have believed in myself more. I would have... Uh, taken uh, advantage of some of uh, in a better way of the opportunities that I had had been given mm -hmm. and um, I would have created more work uh, for myself early on. Perfect. Well, Lewis, it's, it's been such a, such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for giving us all these uh, valuable lessons that all of the actors out there watching can take and start using immediately. It's, uh, it's really been a joy. Thank you, Alan. It's been a joy for me too. I'm so happy I got to meet you. You like, why is it? We'll work together someday. I, I see that happening, absolutely. Um, and, uh, and once we're done taping, I definitely want the phone number of that psychic. So uh, please, please stop. I'll give it to you. Okay. Um, okay, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. I, as as you can see, this uh, opportunity that I've created for myself, you know, uh, a little over two months ago, is just unbelievable, and it's giving me a chance to speak to such incredible people and to learn and to have the ability to share. I am grateful to you for watching. I'm grateful to all of our guests for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>